Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, we have a classic Friday Q&A, but have a couple things that I want to share with you, uh, something I want to shout out for you, and something I want help uh, from you with, and that's what I'm going to start with, actually. Let's start with the help. The first thing I want to help with is I want to know literally exactly what you guys want to learn about. Um, as you guys probably noticed, there is kind of like a flow of these podcasts. Monday is typically a educational topic, so I really like to spend that time, whether it's 20 minutes, 40 minutes, or an hour. Um, that podcast, I really like to spend time teaching you about a specific topic, be that vegan dieting, be that fat loss, be that macros, be that some kind of specific strength training regimen, anything, cardio, whatever it may be. But as you notice, there's usually like a specific topic we dive into, um, Coming up on Monday, it is the definitive guide to creatine, I believe. And I just dive in on creatine monohydrate, like everything you could possibly imagine about creatine monohydrate, which, by the way, I have to suggest you guys check out the supplement guide if you have not, the ultimate evidence-based supplement guide. I'll link it in the show notes. It's just unbelievable. I literally put so much effort into that, and I've been getting so much crazy feedback. People were even printing the damn thing out, which is the coolest thing to me. They were literally printing out the supplement guide. Um, and having it on hand, which is just so awesome. So um, definitely uh, go check that out. Link it in the show notes. But I, I recorded a whole episode on creatine, what it does, how it works, uh, the process, the best sources, the different benefits, so on and so forth. Um, and I think it's going to be a really good podcast. I think you guys are going to really enjoy that. That one's on Monday, so stay tuned for that. But what I want you to do is I want you to click the link in the description. Um, so we always have this in there, but I'll put it in the things mentioned section there in the description of every podcast. There's always things mentioned. That's like links of things I talk about that you guys can click on. And if you go to boomboomperformance.com slash podcast, there's an ask boom boom form. And I want you guys to literally ask me anything. In fact, I'm probably going to create a different form and I'm going to post that in the show notes, hopefully. If it's not there, it'll say Ask Boom Boom, the old one, but we're going to create a new form where you guys can ask questions for the podcast. But I want you to do is give me a specific topic. So instead, um, or I shouldn't say instead, because if you have any question about anything, ask away. You know I love these Q&As. You can be as detailed as possible. You can be as specific to you as possible. You can say, hey, I am a 43-year-old female with a thyroid dysfunction training this many times a week and I need help with XYZ, blah, 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 <laughs> right? I don't, like ask me the most detailed question ever. I love it. But um, I want some fuel for our Monday episodes. So if you want to know everything there is to know about combining bodybuilding and CrossFit, if you want to know how to program design the best upper lower split. If you want to know about the number one morning routine, which that's probably a good one. I'm going I'm to do that. Um, point being, if there's one specific topic regarding education, a supplement, a nutrient, vitamins, training, carb cycling, refeeds, any one topic, reverse dieting, metabolic adaptation, anything, 
please click the Ask Boom Boom link. Drop me a note. Let me know what you want to learn about because I want to continue doing these educational podcasts on Monday. And I create these for you guys. So please let me know. The second thing, I had a question on my story and I think it's just something random I kind of want to bring up because I think it's important for uh, people to hear whether you're a coach um, and this relates to you from a networking standpoint or if it's just an individual looking for more happiness. I had somebody ask me something about creating friendships uh, in a superficial world. So I posted on, on, I always do my Instagram stories um, for Q&As on Monday and that was the question. How do you create truly good friendships in a superficial world and it's a really good question and, and, and it's it's something that is it's crazy that it has come to this but th- that's why I try really hard to do a few things number one I try to keep some form of journaling and studying about the mind in my uh, morning routine so right now I am finishing up stillness is the key by Ryan Holiday great book um, but it talks a lot about stillness, right? Um, taking yourself away from social media, taking yourself away from notifications um, and getting back to true connection, not only with others, but with yourself. And I think that's the point of stillness. It's being still, it's being alone, it's being present. Um, and I think that's a big key here is, is if you want to become more self-aware and socially aware of your surroundings and your environment and the people you are associating yourself with and things that are creating anxiety for you and the things that you are constantly being sedated by, which is typically social media. Um, and, and I think the, the reality is, is those things are going to lead to these superficial relationships, right? I think you have to, you have to study it, right? If you want to know more about nutrition, hire a coach, hire a mentor, read a book, do something, right? You have to study to become self-aware. So I think I find that studying myself, studying about stillness and being present in meditation and reading about others, uh, whether it's biographies or it's just books that tell stories like stillness is the key or ego is the enemy. I think working on yourself in that way from an educational standpoint really is the only way to break out of that. And then the other piece of this is setting boundaries for social media, setting boundaries for your phone, setting boundaries for all these different things, um, time blocks so that you're only doing one thing at a time and not trying to multitask because it's not going to work, which that's difficult for all of us. And then the last piece of this is actually – spending time connecting with someone every day or week. So I actually have a I, I have a list of like quote unquote tasks that I have to do every every day and every week, right? Like and it's basically like a tally system. And my mentor has these and I actually have these for my mentor clients where it's literally like a tally system of okay, did you do your meditation? Did you do your journaling? Did you do your reading? Did you do your three walks of the day? whatever, like everybody is different. So we set different targets for each day, but there's a tally system. There's legitimately a tracking sheet that we can tally points. And by the end of the week, you should have a certain amount of points. So for me, every week I have to do something as a go-giver, um, which has to be out of the norm. So, you know, the normal things I do for you guys with content, with clients, things like that, that, that doesn't count because that's, I do that every day. Right. But once a week I have to go out of my way to do something substantial, buy a gift for somebody, do something for somebody random I've never met, go donate to charity, go to Goodwill, do something, right? Um, So that's one thing. The other thing is every day I have to reconnect with a friend. And what that basically means is like going out of my way to talk or connect or just drop a message or a note to somebody that I don't normally talk to. And I think that's truly going back to the original question of trying to find ways to create meaningful relationships inside of a quote-unquote, 
digitally connected world. I think that's really it. Send somebody a text, send them a letter, send them a gift, send them a book with a note, right? You can easily do that on Amazon. Send them a book and type the type a note for them. Do something. I mean, this is a good example. And shout out to these two guys, which I'm really excited about this. Um, actually, while you're listening to this, I'm literally probably on a plane heading to Philly right now to go see the RP Summit with Austin Current and Matt McLeod. And these are two guys that I basically, somebody, I think Sam Miller connected me to Austin uh, in an Instagram DM. And then I got his email and then I emailed him. We set up a podcast and the podcast went well. I was like, hey man, like I sent him an email after the podcast and Norm, this is probably kind of weird in this today's world. I, I emailed him and I was like, hey man, you're a good dude. Give me your number. I, I want to text you sometimes. <laughs> And it sounds so weird saying that, but it's like, that's just fucking human connection. That's talking to people. So I emailed him that and I was like, he's probably gonna think I'm weird. He emailed me back and he said, hell yeah, dude, text me. And he gave me his number. So I texted him and we just started chatting, right? And then Matt McLeod hit me up and he said, hey, I saw that you were uh, friends on Instagram with way too many people in common with me. We should connect. So I looked at his and I was like, damn, we do follow a lot of the same people. A lot of the same people follow us. He was like, let's do a podcast. I was like, cool. So we did a podcast. And then I, he, we were having a conversation about this exact thing. And so I said to him, dude, give me your number. <laughs> I did the same thing to Austin. And him and I connected. And then little did I know him and Austin were friends. We all started kind of, we started like a three, I started a three-way chat and was like, yo, let's all fly to Philly and go to the RP Summit. Just randomly one day after we've all been kind of separately talking and they were like, we're down. So we got our Airbnb. We're all flying from different places and we're just going to go fucking connect, have fun and go to this fitness summit. But the point being is I had to go out of my way to ask both of these individuals. And mind you, Austin did the same thing to Matt way back after they connected on Instagram or something. And he literally asked him, yo, let's FaceTime, which is a weird thing to ask somebody <laughs> but that you don't know. But they FaceTime and then they became friends and now they stay connected. But the point being is nowadays you literally have to go out of your way to create friendships. See, I grew up with a lot of guys that, they, I mean, they were in my wedding. I've been friends with a lot of them since I was, some of them since first fucking grade. But you it's hard to find new relationships like that without going out of your way. I was forced to be friends with those people because I was put in the same classroom as them when I was a kid. And that manifested into a great friendship over time. Now they're like family. But with Austin and Matt, it's the same thing. I had to literally go out of my way of like, hey, like I like you. I think we would get along and, and we have a lot of commonalities. Like let's be fucking friends, as weird as that sounds. And I don't know where I'm taking this, but I think there's a lot of – I've been asked similar things before, and I think for entrepreneurs, it's very important, and for general people, it's important just for happiness, but number one, as an entrepreneur, as a coach, you have to network. You have to build your network. You have to connect with other people in the industry, and you have to go learn from other individuals. That's the only way to grow as a coach and as a business person and as somebody who just wants more personal development, and as normal everyday people, both entrepreneurs and not, Human connection and tribalism is really, it's the key to human growth. People live longer when they have meaningful relationships, but you're not going to accidentally stumble upon meaningful relationships. You have to cut the bad out of your life and you have to go seek out the good, which oftentimes means awkwardly asking people who you think are cool for their number so you can text them and maybe fly to Philadelphia randomly to go to the RP summit with them. But that's how, that's how relationships are built. Um, and the same thing happened. Like I mentioned, Sam Miller, same thing happened with him. We were at an event together and he did the same thing to me. He said, yo, we should connect. I think we'd get along. Sure enough, we do. There's a lot of people like this. And I think that 
if you're not willing to do that, I don't think you're ever going to have truly meaningful relationships. So um, my rant is over with that. I guess what I'm telling you guys is, A, if you want truly meaningful relationships which are very, very important, I think you have to study human connection. I think you have to study your mind. I think you have to study stillness, which I'll drop a link for that book in the show notes. I think it's really good. Um, I think you have to go out of your way to create relationships. And I think as anyone who is a coach or an entrepreneur listening to this podcast, I think you have to work really hard to build your network by purposely kind of inserting your yourself into people's lives. I mean, that's what I've done my whole career. Like Luke Hosfar was my first mentor and eventually my boss. I inserted myself into his life. Jason Phillips, I inserted myself into his life, right? Like um, this guy who I'm working with right now on a mentorship level, I inserted myself into his life when I heard that he was potentially working with some people because I respected who he was. Matt and Austin, Sam Miller, like all these people. And I think that's really, really, really important. And I think in today's society, it's it's important to just branch out of the the social media world. So I'm just I'm literally just ranting now. I'm just talking to you guys about nothing at this point. My whole po- point with that was I think you guys should really work on developing yourself. Um, and also I'm going to the RP Summit. I'm probably gonna have huge takeaways. I probably will do a podcast about what we take away at the Renaissance Periodization Summit. Um, supplement guide. Ask Boom Boom. Um, yeah, that's about it for the announcements. And let's get into these questions. The first one being Megan Guthmiller. When should one implement strength versus hypertrophy? With a goal of just getting toned and not shredded, what would be the best option to focus on? Or would it be best to implement both into a split as in one upper strength, one lower strength, then one upper and one lower Thanks. So there's a few things to kind of pick apart here, Megan. Um, first and foremost, your like getting tone really is just going to be building muscle. I mean, if we really, I know exactly what you mean by getting tone, but if we really look at what that is, it's essentially building muscle and then burning fat so that you can reveal that muscle. Most people who want to get toned, they want to look lean, which means that they need to remove body fat. But before they do, they need to have a base layer of muscle tissue um, on them because otherwise they won't have that tone dense look that they're actually looking for. Um, the second part of that, you said not getting shredded. The difference between getting tone and getting shredded is just a matter of time and uh, how big your deficit is with your calories. And what I mean by that is it's literally just a difference of I dieted for 12 weeks versus I dieted for 24 weeks or I dieted in a 10% deficit versus I dieted in a 20% deficit. So getting shredded really is just staying on your diet longer or being a little bit more aggressive with your diet. So there's not going to be any difference in recommendations that I have for you as far as just getting to a toned level versus getting to a shredded level. The difference would be is like if you want to get shredded, it's just going to take you a little bit longer. Now, when you should implement strength versus hypertrophy, I think it depends on the macro periodization of things. And what I mean by that is if we can kind of zone out and look at your year of what your training focuses are, I think that's what it determines. If I have somebody who is very, very serious about putting on muscle mass over time, I might look out at a year scale and go, hey, this whole year we're working on building muscle. We're not going to go on a cut to really lose fat unless we do a small mini cut. For those individuals, we're probably going to stick with hypertrophy-focused training. So I would say like six being the lowest rep count but mainly higher volume training, 12 to 16 weeks straight, and then we will do a quote-unquote like primer phase where we just drop volume pretty low to like deload the body from high-volume training, deload the body from uh, lactic threshold and metabolite training, meaning high-rep training, 
um, and we go low volume and high intensity. So less reps, less sets, less volume, but more intensity via load. So we're pushing strength. So now we're doing some one rep sets. We're doing some three rep sets. We might go as high as eight and that's probably as high as we'd go. And we do that for anywhere between four to 12 weeks. Um, Typically, if your goal is specifically hypertrophy um, and, and getting just tone quote unquote or muscular or in this case we're talking about an advanced bodybuilder just building as much muscle as possible i'm probably going to spend like just four to six weeks doing this low volume i think that's enough to increase strength i think it's enough to get the neurological adaptation of strength training and low volume training and i think it's enough time to kind of sensitize quote unquote yourself to higher volume training again so now we go through this period of 12 to 16 weeks of high volume four to six weeks of low volume 12 to 16 weeks 16 weeks of high volume, four to six weeks of low volume. And we just kind of cycle that all year while trying to put on as much muscle as possible. Then when we get back into a cut, let's say after this full year of training, when we go back into a cut and we drop calories, I'm probably going to go back to that higher volume training um, just because I find that it maintains muscle more or I will do a modified conjugate, which is kind of like what you're saying. Two days a week, you're doing lower rep, but you're still in the hypertrophy zone. So we might do like a heavy squat and a heavy bench on those days, an upper lower split, but we have higher rep accessory work. And then on the other days we do high rep squat, high rep press, which is probably gonna be overhead press. Um, my point being is we do have this kind of like concurrent strength and hypertrophy goal every week. Um, and you can also do that in a five or six day split. Um, I really enjoy, we have a program called muscle by science inside the elite, which will be integrated with true coach, um, some of the programs are already integrated with True Coach, so now you can actually join the elite and get access to our True Coach, which is super beneficial. Uh, but that is where we do two days of so it's upper lower and it's like lower rep, heavier strength, max effort, and then we have a push pull legs that's strictly high volume hypertrophy. So there's many ways to do it. Um, you can do it with upper lower. You can do it with a upper lower, upper lower, upper lower. So six days a week or four days a week. You can do it with a upper lower push pull legs five days a week. Um, you can even do it with a push, pull legs, push, pull legs. So there's a lot of ways to do this. Um, and I think that's probably going to be the best when you go into a cut because some neurological based training, i.e. strength is important when cutting, cause that's going to help maintain muscle mass as well. But going back to your question, like, let's say you're not an advanced lifter and I shouldn't scope out. And this is where I think periodization changes quite a bit between an advanced bodybuilder and a general population. Because if we look at science and we look at periodization of, of sports and we apply that to, to powerlifting and bodybuilding, which a lot of people do, and we go, okay, we're going to look at the year, we're going to periodize in a low volume phase and these percentages and this, 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 and it's, it's crazy complex. And I understand that, but with general population, we don't know if you're going to be committed to the same goal in six months. We don't know if you're going to be working with the same person in six months. We don't know that you are going to not get bored of the program in six months and want to do something completely different. We don't know if you get bored every six weeks and want to switch it from a split to a full body to doing more cardio to training for a Spartan race. And like, there's so many different things that happen. Um, And add to that, we don't know, even if you are committed to the same exact goal, you're committed for the whole year. We don't know if your life is going to be programmed around your training plan where a lot of advanced bodybuilders, they can do that. They arrange their life around bodybuilding because that's what they love. But for many people that doesn't work very well because you have a lifestyle. So for me, what I find is, and not that bodybuilding isn't a lifestyle, because even myself, I'm, I'm probably more OCD than the average person. But I would say that for most general population, I really enjoy a modified conjugate method. 
Um, and this is how I program for a lot of people, um, especially uh, our clients and the clients that we have inside the elite membership site. And this is where we have an upper lower split or some form of split that allows us to kind of split training in half. And we either do it a on a weekly or on a biweekly basis. So for example, you could go upper lower max effort. So these are low reps, heavy strength training, and then upper lower higher, higher reps, hypertrophy training. That's a great way to do it. You can do it. Like I said earlier, the upper lower and then rest and then push pull legs. And we split it again, strength and hypertrophy. We can do this on a weekly undulated system where if strength is your main goal, we would have upper lower strength, upper lower hypertrophy, upper lower strength, upper lower speed and power and dynamic effort. So we still have some hypertrophy in there, but instead of doing an overhead press for eight to 10 reps, we're doing a push press or a push jerk or a landmine push jerk and maybe some snatches and we're doing them for more explosive reps. Um, that's similar to what I have inside of performance bodybuilding inside of the elite, which people are loving, um, which I, I just have to do a plug for this. Like if you like what I'm talking about right now, I highly suggest you check out the elite. Um, there's a link in the show notes right now. We are integrating uh, true coach and we are adding a lot of programming in there. So you can actually kind of train with me live time, which is really, really cool. Um, and it allows you to essentially get your programming and your like constantly adjusted, tweaked and periodized. And if you're doing the same program as me, I'm literally training with you. I'm a week ahead of you, so I'm experiencing it and I'm adjusting it to make sure that it, it is utilized and, and it's, it's beneficial for you um, and it's tweaked the right way. Um, and there's a bunch of options. So we have four-day splits. We have full-body splits, upper-lower splits. Uh, we're getting ready to put an upper-lower push-pull-leg split in there, which is more of an advanced bodybuilding. And then we're getting ready to put a six-day upper-lower, 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 which uses a daily undulated periodization and an advanced bodybuilding periodization method. Um, so there's literally – there's programs for everybody. If you like doing CrossFit and some bodybuilding, there's something in there for you. Um, but the true coach integration is just making it ridiculously easy to use for the clients, uh, easy to progress, easy to periodize, um, more understandable, better user experience. Like I can't, I can't talk enough about it. I'm, I'm loving the process and so are the people. So if you want to join the elite, you want to get training with me and you want to train with me live time, now's the time to jump in. Um, I'll just say that because we have some more and more things being added in and I can't promise this low price for much longer. Anyway, this isn't a sales pitch. Uh, Megan, I hope I answered that question properly. Uh, when you said when should one implement strength versus hypertrophy, I really don't think it, it matters too much. If you're gen pop, I think – so like with fat loss, you're going to get the same result. It's going to come down your diet. Um, if you, however, want to get more muscle tissue, which I do believe you do, using the word tone, I believe that you do need some higher volumes to make sure that you're building muscle too. I would recommend what you mentioned, one upper strength, one lower strength, and then one upper hypertrophy and one lower hypertrophy. I find that that is probably the best split for most people, be beginner, intermediate, or advanced general population. So this might not be for advanced bodybuilders or advanced CrossFitters, things like that, because specific goals require specific tweaks. But for most people who just want to look better, feel better, actually recover from their workouts and fit their training plan into their lifestyle schedule, I can't say enough about that. And it, it's very similar to a conjugate method mixed with hypertrophy. And that's typically what I recommend. Rose, Rosie, I always butcher this. It's Rose. This is actually a, a client of mine. Shout out to Rose because um, she had an ACL tear joined uh, nutrition coaching with me and the elite. We have recovered her knee, reverse dieted her. Um, we've been, she's battled with PCOS for a long time. We've basically gave the middle finger to that while reverse dieting her. She's dropped weight and now she's on the mat 
competing in BJJ again while strength training, while reverse dieting, while feeling like a million bucks. I'm super happy with her results. She's lost fat, built muscle, improved performance, recovered ACL. Now she's competing in BJJ again. It's like the trifecta. She's fucking crushing it. But her Instagram name, I always butcher it. It's Rose Z Roar. Oh, Rosie Roar. <laughs> Sound it out, Cody. All right. What percentage of carbs should come from green veggies versus grains or other sources? So I think this kind of uh, – this is hard because I, I I don't have a percentage for you. I typically recommend anywhere between two to five servings of greens per day. Um, I think the bigger you are as a human being and you know who you are or and or the more calories you have to play with, the the higher you are on that spectrum. But I've, I've yet to see anybody who – can consume less than two servings of greens and still have enough fiber, still get enough nutrients, still have no worries about vitamins and minerals and micronutrients and so on and so forth. So I always recommend at least two, but upwards of five servings of greens per day. Um, I always recommend two to three servings of fruit, which is fruit. Is, I mean, if you're a very small individual or have very low calories, you can lower that to one to two. But I really like to have people consuming two to three servings of fruit. A serving is going to be a handful and or a cup. Um, or a banana or a apple, so on and so forth. Um, and then the rest can be saved for grains and starch and root vegetables like sweet potatoes and, and starch uh, or uh, squash and things like that. Um, but there's no percentage there. Um, if we boiled that down into a percentage, it might be 20%, 25%, 35%. I don't think like I, I think if you overdo it with greens, you're actually going to potentially have gut issues and have too much fiber and have too much digestive stress. Um, and I also think you will be depleting yourself of muscle glycogen because we know that we need rice, oats, potatoes, stuff like that to store muscle glycogen that's going to help us recover, get a pump, perform, so on and so forth. So I, I'm a really big fan of saying, hey, two to three servings of fruit, uh, two to five servings of green vegetables, choosing green vegetables that, that agree with you. So if you know every time you eat broccoli, you're gassy, bloated, and your gut hurts, Stop eating broccoli. Choose things that agree with you. Spinach, Brussels sprouts, whatever. Um, and then the rest can be starch and grains. Um, and if we get even more detailed, I like to do this in a sense of I put green veggies in every meal that isn't around my training. So for me, let's see, I have uh, my breakfast is pre-workout. Then I have a post-workout shake. And then I have a midday meal. And then I have dinner. And then I have a nighttime snack. So I basically have... Um, I put spinach in my pre-workout because it's two and a half, three hours prior, but it's an easy digestible uh, green. I put greens in my lunch um, because I've already had my shake post-workout. I put greens in my dinner. And then I typically don't put greens in my last meal of the night because it's some kind of like protein ice cream or some kind of snack. And I'm not going to steam broccoli with that or anything. Um, so three of my meals, so that's three servings. However, Dinner usually has two servings because I usually have two handfuls of greens. But again, I'm falling in that two to five range. Um, I usually like to have fruit with my pre-workout meal. Um, I'm a big fan of having some uh, starchy carbs and some fruit. There's actually, there was actually a really cool study that showed when combining fructose and glucose, so starch and fruit, we actually have a faster and more efficient digestion absorption rate of those carbs to be utilized as fuel and training. So for pre-workout, it's very smart to have about 10 to 20% of your total carb intake coming from fruit. So what I like to say is like, hey, you should probably have like 0.75 to one gram per kg of body weight. So I think I'm like 75 kilograms. What am I? Now I got to do it. Otherwise, I'm going to hate being wrong. 
Yeah, I'm about 75 kilograms, so that means about 75 grams of carbs um, in my pre-workout meal. But if I have 75 grams of carbs and 10 to 20% of that is coming from fruit, that means I'm going to have about anywhere between 10 to 25 grams of carbs from fruit. So for me, in the morning, it's like white rice with my eggs, and then I have a side of usually kiwi, but kiwi's not in season right now, so it's been a banana the last couple of days. But that's going to help the pre-workout digestion, um, and then I usually have fruit in any of my other meals, um, usually with lunch, like Greek yogurt and, and strawberries cut up in there. But the point being um, is that's two servings of fruit. Sometimes I even do three, and it's easy to hit that marker. So instead of thinking of percentages and confusing it, I would just always stick to two to five servings of greens, that easily digest and then uh, two to three servings of fruit and the rest goes to starch. And the good thing about that is that no matter like the reality is, is as you cut calories and as you cut carbs on a diet or in, while you're going to a deficit, you shouldn't be cutting out vegetables. You shouldn't be cutting out fruit because those are required in order to hit your micronutrient demands. Um, you should be cutting out starch. Um, there's that range of two to five servings of greens and one to three servings of fruit, let's say, so that you can lower those a little bit to afford still having some rice or oats or potatoes or whatever to keep fueling your performance. But those are what's going to have to cut in order to cut calories and cut fat. Um, so sticking, and the reason I'm saying this is because it's a scale that works no matter how many calories you're consuming. If you're only doing a percentage, that means as you cut calories, you are losing your micronutrient-dense foods, which is not recommended. So I hope that makes sense, Rose. And if it doesn't, hit me up. You have my access to me 24-7 because you are my personal nutrition client. Caddy Z Lock. I was finally able to do a pull-up on my own. In fact, I could do three. Well done. Recently, I've felt like – I always think that's really cool. Um, just a side note when like I used to work with a lot of gym pop people in person and that was always a big goal for women. It's like, hey, let's get you doing pull-ups. And I loved seeing that and getting my clients to do pull-ups. Um, I was finally able to do a pull-up on my own. In fact, I could do three. Recently, I've felt like I can barely do any more, even though I'm still practicing them weekly and even eating more. Could I be going backwards in progress? It's really hard to say. Honestly, I don't have the full picture for you. Um, I don't think you would be going backwards in strength if you are or skill if you are practicing them. However, you might need uh, some like novelty stimulus, which basically means some variety. So if you're constantly just doing pull-ups, try doing jackknife pull-ups where you could double or triple the volume per set, um, the reps per set, um, and put yourself in a better position to do so. So versus doing like three pull-ups because like it's just body weight and it's difficult, do a jackknife pull-up and you can do nine to 12 because you're assisting yourself. Um, do lap pull-downs, do wide grip, close grip, supinated grip, do different things like that. Um, see where you get most sore. Like do you feel like uh, it's hard for you to get your chest up? Practice thoracic mobility. Do you feel like it's hard to finish the rep? Practice uh, bicep strength, forearm strength, uh, direct lat strength. So if you look at the top movement of a pull-up, it's a lot of thoracic mobility and extension, but it's also a lot of that peak contraction, um, which is driving your elbow towards your waist. So you might want to do some like tall kneeling lat pull-ins, which is a really, really cool exercise. Um, you can find me doing it on YouTube actually. Uh, I love that for building lats. But the point is, is you need some diversity and some variety inside of your training to build your lats. Um, you could be overstressed and under-recovered because that's my first kind of thought, to be honest with you, is if you're doing something and all of a sudden your performance just tanks um, and you say you're eating more and you're practicing them enough, then my first thought process is, well, maybe you just need more recovery. You can eat more and still be burnt out because you may not be 
um, acquiring enough recovery, enough of the right nutrients, uh, enough sleep, so on and so forth. So I would highly recommend looking at recovery, but otherwise I, I really couldn't tell you because I don't know what your lifestyle's like. I don't know what your program's like. I don't know what your nutrition's like. I need a little bit more information. Becca underscore Ted Jada. Wake up starving in the middle of the night. Track that food yesterday or tomorrow. I'm a night shift nurse, so on the days off, my body is weird. I'm currently eating about 2,100 calories. Um, okay, so she wakes up starving in the middle of the night. Should she track that food yesterday or tomorrow? I'm a night shift nurse, so on my days off, my body is weird. So this is really hard. I, I And this it gets really confusing if you want to get too dialed in. So I'm a big fan of not being super strict on tracking macros during this and just working on sleep, working on fixing your circadian rhythm, work on workout timing because timing your workouts around your shifts is super, super important. Work on sleep quality, work on all these different stressors that could potentially affect your metabolism because you are affecting your circadian rhythm quite a bit by being on um, night shifts, um, especially if you're doing shift work where you're on some nights and you're on some not nights. Um, that being said, you can still track macros and you can tweak things. Like I, I like intermittent fasting a little bit with uh, night shift workers because I think it can help you. Like we got to remember that sleep and food consumption are the two biggest contributors to uh, balancing our circadian rhythm and our body clock. But what that means is that if you're throwing off your, your sleep schedule, let's try our best to not throw off our eating schedule, which means that sometimes you have to go through periods of time while you're working doing intermittent fasting. So sometimes alternate day fasting works really well. Um, another thing you can do that kind of makes it more confusing is just track weekly total caloric intake. So if you're aiming for a, a rough estimate of like, okay, every 24 hours I'm trying to consume about this much protein and it can be literally like between 120 to 200. So you could say like anywhere between 0 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound, let's say, um, you're going to be safe, right? Because we, we just want amino acids flowing in our body on a consistent basis, and it's why you're not going to lose a ton of muscle by intermittent fasting. So as long as you try to stay within that range every 24 hours getting enough protein, and then you just calculate your weekly total caloric intake, I think you will be totally fine. Um, it's not perfect. It can be confusing because you do have to look at weekly, cal weekly calories versus daily calories. Um, but it can also be easier because you might be starving. You might be more hungry. You can eat more food and then you're not as hungry the next day. So you can eat less food and it ends up adding up by the end of the, the week. So whether you should track that food from yesterday or tomorrow, it, it really doesn't matter. It could go either way. I would suggest if you really want to track, I would probably track on a weekly basis um, and just try to stay within ranges on a daily basis or focus on balancing your circadian rhythm. And, and last but not least, I know this isn't possible for everybody. Um, and, and sometimes I feel like a dick saying this, but try to get a new job. Like I, I hate saying that, but the reality is, is like it is very hard on your body. <laughs> so um, it's not possible for some people, but if you can work on eventually getting out of shift work, I would recommend it to most because it is very hard on your body and your circadian rhythm and your hormones. Randon Healy, how soon after a refeed should you see weight drop back down? This is completely dependent on the person. Um, what I have found and um, I have seen other people find this as well, I find that the longer it takes your body to actually uh, drop the weight back down, the more likely it is that you probably shouldn't be dieting in the first place. Um, realistically, after like a single cheat meal or a refeed day or anything like that, your weight should probably drop down pretty quickly afterwards. And, and by quickly, I mean 
within three days at least. So usually the next day you're going to be retaining a little bit of water because of the carbs. But then after another day or two, you should easily be right back to where you were. Um, I've seen some people have a very delayed effect where it takes almost a week to get their weight back down. But as we repair, I shouldn't say repair because nothing's broken. As we restore their metabolic adaptation, their hormonal adaptation, because sometimes I use diet breaks along the process of trying to restore these processes for people metabolically. Um, as we get healthier and we get their biofeedback on point, their hormones on point, we notice that that delay of, of weight drop doesn't happen as long. Like I've had multiple clients who we take a, a two-day refeed and it takes five days for their weight to balance back at all. And then eventually after working with them and trying to restore these hormonal and metabolic processes – Eventually, they drop weight from a, a refeed because it's such a stress relief to their body. So it really just depends on the person. Um, but what I would say is in general, I like to see it drop back down within the first three days. And if it doesn't, it tells me that your body might be a little stressed um, or metabolically, metabolically, you might not be in the best place to diet. Any hopper, what is the central nervous system and how is it affected by your training, recovery, and nutrition? How can you tell if your CNS is in need of recovery slash repair? It's a good question. So the central nervous system is uh, it's nerve tissues essentially um, that control the activities of your body, your joints, your muscles, your movement. Um, yeah, it, it basically compromises of the the brain and the spinal cord. So, uh, like l quite literally, the central nervous system controls most of the functions of our body and of our brain. So it's the brain and the spinal cord working together to, I mean, I mean, quite literally control even our thoughts uh, um, uh, in, in how we in kind of interpret our external environment, our reactions, our responses, and things like that. Uh, but it's also in control over our bodily movement. Um, and there are some research, there's some research that's been done that shows it is connected to our hormones, it is connected to our gut. So it's kind of our control center. The central nervous system is literally the control center for everything we do, how we move, how we think, how we process, how we digest, how we function from a hormonal level. It's in control or has a direct effect on quite a bit of thing, different things within our body. So it's really, really important. Um, now you said, how is it affecting affected by your training, recovery, and nutrition. So if your training is too hard, like when we have a hard training session, we stimulate our nervous system. This is a good and a bad thing. When we stimulate our nervous system, it allows us to be more explosive. It allows us to work harder. It allows our strength to peak higher um, and therefore do more reps, do more volume. We're probably going to build more muscle. Um, our central nervous system can be impaired by that though. If we train too hard for too long or too often, we see a decline in recovery because our central nervous system is essentially getting burnt out. Um, there's different hormonal processes that are affected by this as well. So our adrenal glands will take a hit. Uh, cortisol levels will stay elevated, which it's kind of a vicious cycle. And it essentially just leads us further and further down this stressed position. So we have our parasympathetic nervous system and our, our sympathetic nervous system. And when we constantly tap into sympathetic nervous system, which is going to be fight or flight, it's going to be our explosiveness. It's going to be what is activated when we are on, so to speak, in training. That's going to harm our nervous system from fully recovering. And our nutrition can help us with that recovery. So if we look at how it's affected by our training, nutrition, and recovery, our training stimulates our nervous system, which is a good thing. But if done in excess or too frequently, it overstimulates it and it causes a downslide in recovery. And the only way to make our recovery ample enough to keep our nervous system healthy and keep training hard is to make sure our stress uh, – 
good stressors are in check or, or we're balancing our stress with proper sleep and with proper nutrition, which is the next point. How nutrition affects our nervous system is simple. If we have enough energy coming in, aka calories and carbohydrates, our nervous system is going to be able to handle more of that stress and stimulus, which is training, and we're not going to, going to get burnt out or have chronic elevation of cortisol and, and wear and tear on our adrenals as quickly or as likely. So the, basically the role is this. Training is the stress and the stimulus that either A, stimulates our nervous system just enough to keep us moving and growing and building strength or stimulates it too much if we're not smart to the point where we can no longer do anything because we are overtraining. The recovery aspect is sleep and the nutrition aspect is just getting enough food to be able to handle what we are doing. And how you can tell if your CNS is in need of recovery or repair is – uh, there's a few things. Number one, you could wear like an aura ring or a uh, BioForce HRV or a Whoop. I just ordered my Whoop because I'm going to test that out. And that'll give you a readiness score. Um, and it'll kind of help you by reading your heart rate variability and telling you if your nervous system is burnt out or if it's safe to train or if you can go hard or if you need to take a deload, so on and so forth. Um, but if we want to be more intuitive about it, I would suggest doing really just tracking biofeedback. And the best points that I've noticed are going to be ranking stress on a scale of one to five and then ranking mental motivation on a scale of one to five. So I have a lot of clients do that and it helps a ton to know when we should deload and when we should take a diet break. Because if you are extremely mentally uh, stressed and or you are uh, have very low motivation, that is one of the first signs that you're experiencing burnout with your central nervous system. So if you wake up and you are depressed, you are moody, you have no motivation, you're like, I, I don't want to get after it today. I don't feel like training. That's a big one. If you don't have motivation to get in the gym, that's a really good sign. So if you don't want to invest in an aura ring or a whoop band or anything like that and track your HRV, um, which it'll give you a basically a red, yellow, or green light, and that is don't train, train light, or go hard. Um, then the best thing for you to do is to monitor your overall stress so you can look at mental stress slash body fatigue slash motivation. And if you're not in a good place with those on a scale of one to five, then your nervous system might be a little tapped out. The underscore happy underscore happa. I've got a plan to put on more muscle this winter. I get that I need to be in a slight surplus, but I'm in a cut right now. I'm sorry. Let me read this again. I've got a plan to put on more muscle this winter. I get that I need to be in a slight surplus. In a cut right now, I keep my protein high and lift consistently. So when trying to put on more muscle, do I change my style of strength training or keep it the same and just go with the extra energy and add weight to the bar? Um, it, it kind of, <laughs> like most things, it depends. But what I would say here is this, like, if you are in a cut right now and you have your protein high and you're lifting consistently, both of those things are not going to change. Um, two things happen when we decide to put on more muscle. Ideally, you keep your protein at a sufficient amount, which is going to be at or slightly above your body weight in, in uh, grams, which if you were in a position to build muscle, I don't care what weight you are, if you were in an actual good position to go on a lean gain phase on a muscle building phase, then you're going to want to eat about a gram per pound or slightly above that. Um your fats are probably going to want to stay exact the same where they are as well. Um, you don't want them to be too low. So if you dropped below 20% of your calories or if you dropped below, let's say 0 0.3, 0 0.35 grams per pound, then you're going to want to bump that up to 0 0.35 to 0 0.4 grams per pound. For some lighter women, I prefer to have them at like 0 0.5 because their light body weight just doesn't justify that calculation. So it really just depends. But point being is protein's high, 
fat is moderately low, and then you're going to bring carbs up pretty high while increasing training volume. So your training isn't going to change from a split um, unless you need to add a fifth day uh, because you can't spend more time in the gym each session. Let's say you're training four days a week. I don't want you to say, I'm not going to say, hey, you train four days a week right now for an hour. I want you to train two hours every time. It's like, no, let's just add a fifth day. And that could be like a 30 to 60 minute session. But basically all we're, all we're doing here is first increasing carbohydrates and we should see a linear progression in your training just from adding more fuel. The more calories you add, the harder you'll be able to go in the gym. This is going to directly increase volume naturally because you're lifting heavier weights. And if we look at sets times reps times load, that's total volume. And if you have more energy to lift heavier weights and that means all your sets are being done with more intensity – you're directly increasing volume by a byproduct of just consuming more calories. But at a certain point, that will slow down and or stop. And when you're getting closer to that point, which is usually when you're hitting that surplus. So my advice is bring your calories up to maintenance while just keeping your training the same, keeping your protein the same, because you'll just naturally do more work in the gym because you're lifting heavier because you have more fuel. And then at that point, as you enter a small surplus, that's when you add a fifth day of training or just more sets per muscle group across the week. Essentially, you have more fuel so you can recover a little bit better, meaning you can handle a little bit more volume. And the best way to grow is probably going to be to add a little bit more volume. You don't need to go excessive with it. But that's probably what I would do. So if you're trying to build muscle, I would probably find a way to add more volume as you enter that surplus. Samantha Geely, just got done listening to the episode. Love all the content. I don't know what episode. Love all the content you create. I was wondering, though, if I carb cycle during a cut, I like doing five low days and two high days, carb, high carb days, usually doing 50 grams on high carb days. Would you suggest also taking a refeed day every couple weeks during the cut where calories would be closer to maintenance? If so, I should cut should I, if so, should I cut out my high carb days that week? Thanks. So there's a few ways you could approach this. Um, I'm a bigger fan of one of two things. Either A, not doing a 5-2 split. So you're doing right now a 5-2 uh, refeed split, five days in a row of low calories and then two days of higher calories. And we're adjusting those calories via carbohydrates. I'm a bigger fan of keeping it that way and just bringing your car two high carb days up to true maintenance because that's actually the point. So when you say should I bring uh, refeed days every couple weeks up to true maintenance, closer to maintenance? Those two days you have in there should already be at maintenance. That's the whole point of doing a 5-2. So what I would do first and foremost is adjust those two high-carb days to be higher. If you're only adding 50 grams of carbs but you know you need to add 100 grams of carbs on those days to hit maintenance, do that. Spend five low-carb days and then do two actual maintenance days, so eating at maintenance calories via carbohydrates, and then go back into the five low carb days. That's going to be a better approach. When you start to plateau or your weight loss starts to slow down, change it from 5-2 to 7-2. And after that, you go to 10-2, right? Um, eventually, you'll be doing 14 days on, two to three days of refeeding. I like playing with it that way. The other way you could do this is just go right to 14 days on. So just do two days of low carbs in a deficit, which usually works really good with a lot of people because Sometimes five days in a row just isn't long enough in a deficit to actually see fat loss progress. You need to spend more time in a deficit, which means you're going to have to spend 7, 10, or 14 days. Sometimes for people, it's even 21 days, three weeks straight. And then we spend more than just two high-carb days in a row. So we'll spend at least three because we need 72 hours to see any type of significant reversal of these metabolic adaptations that occur during dieting. But what you would do is spend two or three weeks on these low-carb days, and then you would spend three to seven days at the high-carb days. So, for example, three weeks on, one week off. 
Um, those are the two things that I would probably shift what you're doing right now to. Um, because the 5-2 just – like if you're doing it the way you're doing it where you're just adding 5 grams of carbs, I think it's actually more beneficial to do like 3-2. So you have like three low days, two high days. Or – two low days, one high day, three low days, one high day, something like that, or low, moderate, high. Like real carb cycling typically is low, moderate, high, low, moderate, high, or it's low days, high days, low days, high days, and you're just alternating with training, um, or you're doing low, low, high, low, low, high. Um, it, it has nothing to do with reversing metabolic adaptation. It has everything to do with just replenishing glycogen for better performance and better pumps in the gym um, and just having a psychological break. Um, if you were to do it like that where you have like low, low, high, low, low, high, so on and so forth, then you could have a three to four day refeed every three weeks. Um, and then the last thing I'll add here as a caveat is I don't know you, Samantha. <laughs> so I take everything I say with face value and a grain of salt. I have no idea what you look like, who you are, what your age is, what your training's like, what your goal is, how long you've been dieting, what your hormonal situation is. Um, and I say that with context because when I go into a coaching uh, plan with somebody about nutrition, any of the people on my team do, we ask a million questions. So we give them a 30-question questionnaire, and then we get on the phone with them, and then we map out a plan, and then we periodize it, and there's so much that goes into it. Um, it's just ridiculously detailed. So for me to give you hard advice is really hard not knowing much about where you're at. But for the most part, what I would say is either A, First option, raise those high-carb days to be higher so it's actually five low days followed by two true maintenance days. Um, take those out and just do two to three weeks of low calories and then three to seven days of actually high calories um, maintenance days so you're just spacing them out more and staying in a deficit longer. Uh, or do a true carb cycling where you're doing like low, high, low, high or low, low, high and you're just kind of putting the high days on your training days. And every two to four weeks out of diet break, which is going to be three to five days of maintenance calories. So hope that helps. Kendra, this is a long one. Kendra, hi, Cody. First of all, thank you for all the free information you provide. I found you a couple months ago and I've been eating it up. You're welcome. So my question is about cardio and training. I am a recovering cardio bunny. I used to swim and run. I trained for a marathon and was one of the lucky ones that gained weight while training. Since my marathon, I've had two kids and now have a fat loss goal that I would like to eventually lead to building muscle. I'm learning a lot about strength training and I've learned that cardio can really mess with your metabolism and it isn't the best for fat loss goals. My husband wants me to train with him for a run slash swim race and I'm wondering if I can train for that while a with a balance of strength training and not mess with my metabolism. My current training is four to five days a week of circuit training and strength. My current cardio is walking 10 to 13K steps a day. I've been in a cut for 12 weeks. I'm planning to go up to maintenance during the holidays and then cut again in January for 10 to 12 weeks before a slow reversed up to maintenance. The race is this summer and it's nothing crazy. 1.2 mile swim and six mile run. If I do the race, I'd like to start training in January and February or February since I haven't done cardio in a while and I'd probably set some time goals. What are your thoughts on adding cardio into training during a fat loss phase? Thank you for your help and everything you are doing. Really long question. So let me try to paraphrase the answer for everybody listening. Um, a few things. So my question is, can you do cardio and still lose fat without basically losing muscle or ruining your metabolism? Yes, you absolutely can in general. Um, first and foremost, what I would say is if you said the race is the summer and it's nothing crazy. So two things. If it's not a super, super long race, I actually don't think you need to do a ton of training for it. I think 
very general cardio of just having a high meat level, maybe going on a run once a week when you get closer just to prepare yourself like your joints for actually moving and running um, and just doing intervals inside of your strength training. So I've had uh, clients that do races that I don't even put through any cardio because I didn't want it to wear and tear on their joints. We do smart strength training with programmed intervals to make sure that the rest periods are monitored and we're keeping their heart rates in certain areas throughout the strength training to elicit that cardiovascular effect because you can accomplish a cardiovascular and an oxidative response without running or doing quote-unquote cardio. Um, You can also do sled poles, assault bike, rower, things that are very easier on your joints um, that promote a healthy metabolism if you do them right. Now, if you go on an hour-long run every day and strength train while in a deficit losing fat, you're absolutely going to have a negative impact on your metabolism, you're probably going to stop losing fat eventually because your hormones are going to be pretty damn stressed. So what I typically recommend is keep strength training, uh, focus on the fat loss. When you're getting more close to the actual race and you need to work on swimming and running just from a skill perspective, bring yourself back up to maintenance and do that. If you're at maintenance calories, if you're eating enough protein, and if you're strength training three to five days a week, and you're not burning yourself out from doing too much training because you're adding a ton of running, let's say you're just doing a couple runs a week and a swim, you're not going to have any negative effects on your metabolism. You're not going to ruin your results with fat loss. Um, You're going to be totally fine because the only time you're ever going to see significant effects in a negative way is if you're in a big deficit, you're not eating enough protein, and you're burning out because you're doing too much training overall. Not just cardio or not just strength training, but a combination of the two. Um, So, My thoughts on adding cardio into a training during a fat loss phase, I love it. I usually do add cardio because it is a great way to burn calories for fat loss. But what you have to understand is that if your goal is fat loss, you don't you need to prioritize that. So prioritize fat loss and have the race be second. Make sure when you go into the race, you're at maintenance and you're eating enough protein and you'll be totally fine. Um, I like using cardio in my clients for fat loss, but it's usually in a in a a high variety. So like, for example, inside the elite, we have a program called perform and burn, and it's a performance driven strength based program that it encourages fat loss. So it's a great fat loss program. It's in true coach. Uh, highly suggest you guys check that out. Uh, really, really cool program. And what we do in there is a weekly undulated system of cardio. So one week we might have more low intensity. The next week we might have high intensity. The, the third week we might have more like moderate range intensity. So I'm training different energy systems in the individuals in this program, and I'm changing it on a weekly basis so that they never get too adaptive to it. And you can do the same type of cardio for a couple weeks in a row and be fine. But after a while, your body will adapt to the cardio because it's easier to adapt to cardio than it is to strength training. But that's a really good system. So we might have two cardio days per week, and I'm undulating it every week. So every other week is a different form of cardio for a different duration with different intervals, so on and so forth. So it kind of keeps your body guessing. It's, it's, never too long because if we just do low intensity or just do jogging, you have to keep adding time because as your body adapts, it burns less calories. You become kind of like a hybrid and a hybrid in the car world is great. We save a ton of gas, but a hybrid with your body during cardio is not great because if you were saving gas, you're saving energy expended, meaning calories burned. So I'm a big fan of adding cardio in an intelligent way where we're using multiple energy systems in in a variety of, of formats. All right, last question, which is actually kind of funny. It relates to this. Brooke, race day slash week nutrition and training. Do you change it up? I'm currently reversing and wondering if I should add extra calories that week. I'm in the Army, and it's an actually not a race. It's my PT test. Push-ups, sit-ups, two-mile run. So basically, what do I do when we have an event uh, with training and nutrition? 
solely depends on the event. Um, when I have a power lifter, I'm much more focused on just making sure that their performance is optimal. So this is going to be with digestion, energy, foods that agree with you, um, having enough carbohydrates, having a blend of fruit, like I said before, nervous system stimula stimulation. Um, if it is a something like this where you're you're doing max push-ups, max sit-ups, two-mile runs, stuff like that, I'm going to program this similar to a CrossFit. It's not going to be as intense as a CrossFit. I guess it's all relative with intensity. Um, you're going to probably want to fuel for ATP production, so nervous system, blood glucose, so on and so forth. Basically, allow yourself to go. Um, and then you're also going to want to uh, supply for glycolytic. So if you're not supplementing creatine, I'm going to link a link to creep here in the description. Get creepier, get creatine. Um, that's going to help with performance regardless, and it's going to keep your ATP stores ready to go. So I always recommend that. But I'm probably going to deload training slightly just days before. So I think you're fine training up until about three days before, and then I would deload. Um, I probably would still move. I would still go on walks. I'd still do mobility, maybe some body weight pump work, but nothing past an RPE of seven just to deload your body. Keep it moving so you feel good. You don't feel stiff or cold going into the PT test, but you do feel refreshed and ready to go, right? You don't feel burnt out is what I'm getting at. Um, and then I would say I'm probably just going to fuel you like I've always fueled you. And that's the hard part about giving you an answer on this. I change. I don't change nutrition. I change nutrition leading up to it, and I try to mimic the nutrition. So we almost practice our meat day or our comp day or our PT test day nutrition plan. So I want to test this, these specific ingredients, these specific foods, timing of training and nutrition and meals and so on and so forth, hydration, sodium, things like that, so that I know, hey, this agrees with you. You perform really well when we have three meals prior. These are the macro breakdowns in each meal. This is how much sodium we've had. This is how much water we've had, so on and so forth. And then you can kind of walk into it being really confident because we've mimicked what we've already practiced. So typically, that's what I'm going to do here. Um, for you, just to leave you with some advice, I would probably have, it, it depends on how many meals, um, the later in the day, the more meals I would suggest. Um, if you're doing it first thing in the morning, have one meal before, if you're doing it like mid morning or middle of the day, have two meals before, if you have early afternoon, three meals. And if you're doing it late at night, three to four meals, but basically what you're going to want to have is protein, carb, uh, a mixed carb of starch and fruit, and then a little bit of fat added sodium and plenty of water. Sodium is going to help you with performance, nervous system, um, hydration. Water is obviously going to help with hydration and digestion and facilitation of what we're consuming. Um, carbs are needed for training, period. So for ATP production, for blood glucose response, um, just to have glycogen to fuel you. Um, having a combination of, of like an 80-20 split of starch to fruit is going to help the assimilation of those carbs. And then obviously we need protein to slow the digestion down of all these nutrients and just to make sure that we're recovering properly. So if I had to give you kind of cliff notes of how I do it, that's how I do it. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com sign-up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of The Nutrition Hierarchy. 
This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at Cody at BoomBoomPerformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.